Hi, you're listening to Thoughtful Wellness Revolution with Sara and Hien, a podcast where we believe wellness isn't wellness if it's just for you. Today, we are talking to Sophia Ellis, who is an arts educator, cultural practitioner, and graduate student at Brown University. Also, someone who is a very personal friend of mine, so I'm very excited we're talking to her. So Sophia, what's on your mind today? Um, so, so you sent these questions out yesterday and I think I had something else written down. Um, but today I went to go and have some seafood with some of the people in my cohort and it really had me missing Florida for a couple of reasons. Um, I miss one, I miss you. Um, Hien, I, I feel like I kind of miss you a little bit only through like the personal relationship that you and Zara have and I, I know about you. Um, but yeah, I was missing Florida. I was missing seafood from Florida and I was missing the heat in Florida because it was really cold out there. So I think that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now. A little, little nostalgia for home. I haven't, I haven't been back home in, in, in a bit. So mm, yeah, I love that. Well, I will give you a little bit of reality in that today it's the high, a high of 65 today. I'm getting to wear a flannel shirt Although it's like not that cold because it's been like in the 90s in the last few days. We actually, I wanted to have you on the podcast I because I love you and I think you're brilliant. Um, and I really wanted to introduce you to Hien because Hien and I are doing this really wonderful project. I'm going to try not to ramble too much, but we actually met in a Buddhist thought class in college. Um, and so that was a very, one, that's a very interesting way to meet someone, especially because all of us really dove quite deeply into the wellness world in different ways, shapes and forms. There was a group of us. Um, so after about like 10 years of reflection of like being in the wellness world and having understood Buddhist thought and you've traveled and worked abroad and done different things. So can you reflect upon how you view things then or how you view things now? And like your perspective on all of that. Yeah. This, so this is a really, thank you, Zara, for asking that question. It's, I think it's, it's a huge, huge, huge question. Um, and I think a lot of it, you know, I would definitely say that Buddhist thought class is what sort of sparked um, definitely my wellness path and my wellness journey um, for better or for worse in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I don't, only like singularly want to focus on like some of the negatives of it. There was a lot of things that happened um, in that class that awakened me to um, like how I'm, how my inner path is supposed to be and my alignment of my inner path. But there was a lot of, um, yeah, there was a lot of trouble. I think that I started noticing when, when I was in that class, there was, and, and I notice it now, Okay, so I notice it now, but looking back, I was like really um, sort of blinded by this like cult-like experience, um, this like type of escapism into wellness and yoga spaces. Um, I think I'll maybe give a little bit of background into my um, into my heritage and my lineage, and that might help with understanding how I got to be in this place. Um, and so, my maternal lineage—I I don't want to speak of my my mother's paternal lineage, um, just because I don't know—is from Southern South Asia. And although she was born in Trinidad, um, she was. Uh, my mother's mother was brought, my mother's mother's mother was brought through um, indentured servitude to the Caribbean islands um, when slavery was um, pronounced illegal in the 1800s. 
And so my grandmother, her family, and my mother, they worked on a sugarcane plantation. Um, they also grew weed there, which is something my mom um, specifically tells me. Um, and yeah, so my mother's mother was a devout Hindu woman and my mom was not religious by any means. Um, and this was due to, which I know, Zara, you know about this, like acculturation strategies for immigrant families coming over. Um, here, and I don't know if this is something that you can sort of resonate with, um, you know, immigration stories and acculturation, assimilation, what that looks like. And then it's also, my mom was not religious because of her trauma around um, being forced into an arranged marriage at 13 years old. And so, you know, her religion was through like cooking and like through, um, you know, music. And aside from trips to the Indian grocery place, grocery market, um, and exposure to my exposure to Indian culture and Hinduism was really, really, really limited. And so a part of me in going into this Buddhist thought class was interested in, you know, this door, like sort of opening up into, you know, another world, like wanting to explore my own roots, and wanting to figure out what that was and you know so I think it was just the everything was just the right place in the right time I was leaving home for the first time we were in college we were at UCF and you know it and I say escapism because um my home like my home life wasn't necessarily the greatest there was substance abuse alcohol abuse and trauma that I wasn't really ready to deal with at the time and so a, any sort of sense of community felt good and that was what like wellness communities and yoga communities at that time period for me provided was was a sense of community and this was also like this corresponds with a time that I started experimenting with psychedelics and was potentially more susceptible as a vessel of manipulation in such spaces okay so this is also not to say that those who experience or those who use psychedelics don't have agency or that I was powerless I just think the like the sort of oneness that you feel um, and universal um, I, I, and I use scare quotes here um, very purposefully when I use the word utopia, um, this idea that comes with psychedelics and like being transported into a space that like exudes connect connectedness. And yeah, it was a combination of all of these things. So I, I know Zara that you, um, that you have similar feelings around that. I don't know if any of what I said was resonated. Yeah, no, absolutely. So much of it. And um, I love that you brought up the point of the dangers of psychedelics within the wellness community, because first and foremost, I think you brought up two really important points is that a lot of people are coming into the wellness world, spiritual communities, because we're missing something in our lives, right? So many people are coming because they're like, I'm lacking something. I'm missing something. I have trauma that's unresolved. I there I'm looking for connection, you know, whatever it is in the world. And it's so easy to go into these spaces where there's feel good stuff like, Oh, feel good yoga and feel good meditation and, you know, easy fun stuff. Um, like goat yoga and all these great things. And, you know, like that's cool, but that's not what those practices necessarily are. And in those spaces, when you are vulnerable in those spaces and they're not trauma-informed practitioners, when they're not 
um, practitioners who are owning and doing their own work and learning from lineages of responsible um, ancestral people, then you end up with a lot of, actually, Hian and I were having this conversation before you got on the call, which is like where wellness is kind of like the MLM world. There's this like weird hierarchy and they like promote it in certain things. Um, but like, so you can fall into these spaces where these wellness spaces become cult-like. Like think about QAnon stuff, you know what I mean? Like all that stuff is like disconnecting from like, cause that I, I think of that riot guy. I don't even know if I mentioned it on the podcast but I've mentioned it before because it makes me fucking furious where he was like, um, <laughs> the guy who wore the bear mask in the riots. Mm, um, mm-hmm. He was like, I can't eat this food in prison because it's like not organic. Actually, this really ties into what he and I were talking about because it's not organic and it will like decal- it will calcify my third eye or some shit. And it's like, if you understood chakras at all, you wouldn't be saying this. And like, there's the hierarchy of like, what kind of food you're putting into your body, the hierarchy, like it's, there's, I don't know. There's so much disgusting um, stuff going on there. That's um, the best way to put it. It's disgusting. There's, mm-hmm. It's disgusting, but it's not like people come into it because it's disgusting. It's it's because there is something to it that gives you uh, like half of what you need. You know, like if you need community or if you need, you know, just something, some kind of form of relief from whatever else you might be dealing with. It does give you that. And and even with the hierarchy BS, sometimes that just helps to kind of structure your world. Like it's it's seductive in that way. <laughs> like it's not all disgusting, even though it is. Um, there's something to it that I think makes everyone and probably each of us interested in, you know, wellness and any parts of it. Buddhism, Eastern thought and all that. And, and I find that part to be an interesting thing is that, I don't know, duality. Um, well, and the nuance to it, like we talk about nuance all the time where it's like, you know, um, we want to think about like, it's not black or white. There's so much nuance to the conversation where it's like really more gray than it is black or white ever. Um, so many of these practices are beneficial. Um, there are things from these practices that adhere to stuff that we don't necessarily want to bring forward and there are practices that we want to preserve and uh, protect ancestral lines you know what I mean there are two different sides there's so many pieces to the puzzle of wellness and I think yeah it's easy to look back and see uh, how all the ways when you just started into it you were easily manipulated you know what I mean yeah I think like maybe with um the two of you too, like definitely, I think age played a huge part in that too. Um, being a susceptible 18, 19 year old is completely different than like being like, you know, not saying that um, it's less likely as you get older, but it, I feel like it's completely different in, in a lot of ways. And something that you kind of both were talking about, like this sort of like binary of, um, yoga and wellness spaces, I think that they in itself create create a binary of like mainstream culture and not mainstream culture. Like there is really no in between. And like the the spaces that I 
was in in the past was like it, you know there was this like sort of utopic or, or utopic fantasy that was like diverse it was welcoming it was separate from mainstream society where others like had like you were with others who had this distrust of like these like violent and antagonistic structures and like although there were these elements like these elements were like although these elements existed they were still rooted in like this white liberal imagination of utopia where like people can exist in this space without like police brutality, racism, homophobia, you know, and like be sanctuaries. And I think that it, not all of them are like that, but th those are the spaces that I, I saw myself in. Um, like, you know, where they were quote unquote sanctuaries, but they were still abiding by like cis heteronormic normative patriarchal patriarchal society yeah so i think really one thing i kind of noticed is that as we were going on these spiritual journeys which i am putting in big quotation marks in case you are listening to this verbal or like audio on audio versus watching us um <laughs> these spiritual journeys and looking into wellness and like looking to wellness to kind of fill a hole i'd say um, that kind of comes like wellness is a piece of filling that hole for sure of like, you know, taking care of yourself and, you know, being connected to something bigger than yourself, whether that's community, whether that's universe, God, spirit, whatever that is for you. Um, I think you found art and that was one thing that was really important for you. Um, but and that was like what your undergraduate thesis is, was in is interdisciplinary studies, whoop, whoop. Um, so shout out to all the disciplinarians out here, interdisciplinarians out here, um, making new ways in the world. Um, but one thing you also focused on was education. And you've actually been an educator in the capacity of being, uh, I know you were an after-school art teacher I, or an in-school art teacher because you worked with a program that was similar to a program that I worked in. Um, you've taught English abroad um, and specifically you've taught English abroad in Vietnam. And what's really exciting is Hien is Vietnamese. So um, I, and you've also taught abroad in Mexico. Could you talk a little bit about your experiences in Vietnam? One thing I visited you in Vietnam. So we, I want to talk to you about wellness travel, I think is a cool thing to talk about there. Um, and just how wellness came up for you and how you took care of yourself and practice wellness while you were traveling. So these questions are like very long, but that's okay. Um, we're having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I can start with um, thinking about uh, like wellness spaces in Vietnam. And, you know, I think about those times and I don't really know how I took care of myself um, which is like not necessarily the best thing in the whole entire world. I know that there were routines and rituals that I did, but it, it all feels like one, one big blur of, of memory. Um, but yeah, there, I know that Zara, you and I have had this conversation before about like wellness travel. And I also want to kind of talk about a little bit too, like what is community-based wellness look like? And I think that um, Hien, please correct me if you think that I'm wrong, but this is, and, and I can, again, I can only speak for what I noticed. Um, 
was that in Vietnam, I was living in Hanoi, their community and wellness spaces are so much more radical and advanced. I shouldn't say advanced, but like just so much more radical, free of like these sort of like capitalistic bonds than we experience in the United States. Because like when Vietnamese people are like, doing community wellness or doing wellness. It's in a community, it's in parks, it's in public spaces. People are like, you know, they get up early in the morning and they like move together. They have their routines together after school. Um, kids play soccer, ping pong. Um, and like wellness is not a com like a commodity as it is like within the United States and these sort of like, and then and then there's this other part to wellness that's specifically dedicated towards like Westerners, travelers. Um, if you've heard the word expat before, those people, I hate that word. Um, and so you might've heard other people say this, but yeah. So people who are, who are traveling, coming from foreign countries, looking for um, like, you know, cheap labor to, you know, to like go to spas, um, you know, visit temples, um, you know, go to baths, you know, there's just all these different like types of wellness and like the, the yoga class, there were yoga classes there. They were incredibly expensive, like unattainable, unattainable for a, a lot of the, like middle-class, um, lower middle-class Vietnamese residents. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think there's like these like two different sides. There's like the side that's dedicated toward, towards wellness tourism for Westerners, and then there's like community-based wellness that Vietnamese people participate in that is like way more radical than what we're doing. I feel like what you just described is sort of like um, the difference between wellness for like the individualist type of cultures like in the US, right? And you know, maybe Europeans to some extent and then the wellness culture that is with more like collectivist cultures too, you know, with people in Asia. And so, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting to see. And wow, I, I didn't know about how, I don't really know much about like the yoga industry in particular in Vietnam, but that makes me sad that it is like, of course, somehow too pricey for the locals to do, but I'm sure there's all types of like fun retreat spa stuff for the tourists. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, as someone who has done some wellness traveling and tourism myself, uh, who at the time, I think I don't want to be like above everyone else and be like, I did it better than other people. Cause I didn't post pictures online or I did this, I did, you know, historical things and did other things, you know what I mean? Cause like, that's, at the end of the day, I was getting cheap labor and, you know, services from people. And it's like a weird, it's a weird dynamic to feel because it's like, they're like a big piece of their call or their in economy depends on tourism. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, I want to do this. But then it's also like, oh, this is not good that this is dependent on me coming in and consuming and basically like, using and dehumanizing another culture for them to exist and sustain in the world. Um, and I also, as a person who like tries to do my own anti-racism work, when I was traveling, I was so shocked to hear the racism and see the racism of white and Western travelers um, that I thought was very fascinating. Like, why are you coming to another culture 
literally Wait, just to consume. like openly racist like um, yeah I was in a restaurant once by myself and there was a man and he was American and he was spouting off just the nastiest garbage about uh people of color indigenous people black people um Jewish people Arab people everyone just everyone was on the chopping block for this man um, and I remember feeling so unsafe and I was like, wow, I have not felt unsafe traveling the entire time that I've been here for the most part. But like the time I'm feeling unsafe is by an American who is, you know, spouting off violent and racist stuff. Um, so I do think it's just fascinating to me to see how much, and that guy, literally I was supposed to go to an ecstatic dance class, which in and of itself is a whole different conversation um, <laughs> of appropriation of like dance and, you know, culture. And that's a different story. But I was gonna go to this ecstatic dance class. And then as I was leaving, I heard that man telling this woman next to him about how she should join him at this ecstatic dance class that night. And I was like, oh, well, I'm definitely not going to that now, you know, and it's like, <laughs> just fascinating because it's like this guy is a part of war wellness tourism you know what I mean like he, he these are the people it's not just people like me who are like oh I want to learn about this culture and see the world and I'm still appropriating it it's not like you know taking that part of it out but like I want to learn about the or not appropriate I'm still like you know abusing this culture and participating in capitalism and so many things that I'm not going to talk about because we don't have time and I want to ask questions um but like, these are also people that are taking part in this wellness culture and abusing these places. Um, so something yeah. I noticed along those lines too, um, thinking about foreigners being over in like Vietnam or other countries, there's like a lot of like older folks who were really frustrated that when people didn't speak English um, or like services weren't provided in a timely manner or like things weren't like perfect enough. And so like these standards, like you're going into another country, you have the, the privilege of coming from this sort, you have your like passport privilege coming in. And yes, these like people were, were white. Um, and, you know, expecting this level of service that you would get, you know, at the, the fanciest fancy fans at, in wherever country um, that you're from. And that to me, it's like, it is so, so, so heartbreaking. They're like these, like these elements of like travel, there's like young people coming over and the, like, the, you know, the young adventurer, the digital nomads, the, like, you know, the people who are like, have privilege in one way and like are sort of, you know, whether they're purposefully taking advantage of certain systems or not. And then you have like older folks too, who are like coming over and like, demanding and expecting um yeah so and not to say that I wasn't you know like I definitely had my hand in um like going to places and like wanting to go to a spa and you know I'm also not free of some of these actions that we're talking about here yeah yeah exactly well, and like that's the thing is like I don't think there I don't know at this point right here and right now that there is a way to travel to these places I think there are ways. I think it's not common to find ways to travel these places in which you are not exploiting um, or dehumanizing the people and the culture that you're going to and the country that you're going to visit. Yeah. Um, and like this sort of the Western imperial influence and American imperial influence in 
in Vietnam right now. And we can, I'll just sort of briefly mention of like the English teaching hub there um, and the, like what has happened is that there are like for-profit English companies that come in to Vietnam in, in Hanoi, I'll only speak for there because that's only where I lived. Most of them were South Korean English, um, you know, for-profit companies and they are using Western curricula. So like students are like being, like basically being dehumanized within these classroom spaces. Um, they're like told to like completely relinquish everything of themselves and like become this other person. And like parents are paying you know, crazy, ridiculous amounts of money, you know, lower middle class families are putting as much money as they can to get their child to learn English, um, to like potentially be in this, this, the English, quote unquote, international English speaking world. And like the problems with that. So it's like, yeah, there's a lot of like harm going on in these English classes. And, um, the learning process that's being ta that's taken place is like really upsetting and also why you know like I wasn't there for that long and I, I didn't know and like someone coming so I went to public school when I was younger um, I went to public school my whole entire life even in my undergrad I got my undergraduate degree from a um, public university and this sort of like banking model of education where like it's unidirectional, it's like you deposit information into the student. Like that means like you're basically saying that like that thing, you're making it a thing as human bodies, you're dehuma dehumanizing them and saying that they can be owned and commodified through that sort of teaching mechanism that is being replicated now in, in these places and like, it took a really long time for me to really unlearn that, you know, like what teaching really meant because my whole entire life, I was only taught this unidirectional like way of teaching. And I replicated that in Vietnam, not really knowing another way. And, you know, that's, that's something I, th I think about quite often. And like, that's a whole nother conversation on like how education systems just in general need to be completely. I feel like Zara is going to want to talk about that. Yeah. Zara always want to talk about education <laughs> this, I, this is like i know i was like I, this is my jam um is talking about the how fucking disastrous the banking model of education is um and i it's fascinating to see how it ties in uh to imperialism because it, it's i mean like it's an idea like the blank slate is an idea that comes from i think it's like rousseau um so it's like an old idea, you know what I mean? That like children are fucking empty, just fill them up with stuff. Um, and the models of education, like we always like pride ourselves in our education system of like, oh, we value John Dewey, but like you didn't adopt any of his fucking practices. Um, you literally went with Horace Mann's practice. I'm, I'm really going to drop some names here, but like Horace Mann's practices of like, okay, like we basically need to train kids so that they can go into the fucking workforce. All right, how do we do that? With bells, like fucking dogs. Um, <laughs> I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'm getting, and I I'm getting flashbacks of being in school, y'all. I'm like. <laughs> 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 
Um, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there are just like numerous problems with that in education. So I guess that kind of brings us into our next question, which is like, as someone who has taught art, as someone who is an artist themselves, as someone who is an educator and a student, um, can you talk a little bit about the relationship and an interdisciplinary, and sorry, we need to include that because it is important here. Um, can we talk a little bit about your relation or the relationship between art, education and wellness? And we can all really chime in here, but I'd love to hear what Soph has to say um, as an expert in art. Oh my goodness, it's crazy to hear, to think about, I don't know if expert would be the right word. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I, yeah, okay. So this, this is something we kind of all know. So like the roots of the United States, you know, these like these, the roots of the United States are entrenched in, um, like enslavement of African peoples, of indigenous peoples, settler colonialism, and like these sorts of like wellness spaces that we have been talking about um, before, um, like the problematic um, wellness spaces are like they're manipulated, they're stolen, they're transformed into products of the American imperial state. So like they're like moved through this machine and like out comes this like other thing, you know, that like is completely different than what it was. And so what like what I see as being like like art spaces cannot like if you are working within community art spaces and you are doing um, like group learning and informal learning outside of institutions and outside of these like capitalistic systems, this sort of like this thing is not like you're not like pushing things pushing something through a machine like people are creating things together people are doing things together they're they're not they're not being like thingified you know they are creating and they are doing and something that i see as being like really important like this is what i what i'm studying right now is like the intersection between um, informal learning and public art practice and public like performance art and like ephemeral art and like how that mode of production, that mode of art production is in itself a way to refuse settler colonial practices. So like how, like how we engage in art as a community is in itself a way to refuse settler colonialism. And that to me, I think is like incredibly powerful because it's like the, it's not, you're, you're separating yourself from these like the roots of the United States, which is all of the, the, the horrible past that like it has been fundamentally built on. And yeah, so like, I think, um, Another thing is too, is like, we need to think about how places and like how wellness spaces like form like innocence, like make, make put on a face of innocence around what they're doing and like how um, like that is in itself like a type of colonization. And in art spaces, like this sort of innocence, you know, it, it does exist in some, but like, 
in community art spaces that are free from all these other structures, like you can't mask anything, you know, it's like, it's raw. Um, I, I, as someone who's had these conversations with you, I understand what you mean. I would love if you could explain a little bit more about what community art is and um, like what some examples about it and like what that would look like in the community. Thanks. Yes. Okay. Very good. Um, so what I like my first, um, like thought and process of this, I'm actually in the, I'm like writing something about, um, Carnival as like a public art, like pu Carnival from Trinidad. Um, Carnival was like, in my mind, this like, in like where like public art and public display of like performance and all of this stuff is actually a refusal of like settler colonial practices that were taking place on land. Um, I see like voguing houses as being another example of this and voguing shows. Um, there's like, if we go into like history, like oral history, like community oral history making, public exhibitions where like kids are coming together, um, they're creating art that counters you know maybe a monument maybe like a a monument that is embedded in a racist past um yeah it's it's like these opportunities to just like reject the space that has not fundamentally been there for you like where you don't see yourself in colonial spaces are built and predicated on colonial structures and people, marginalized communities do not necessarily have space within that. How do you counter that? You art about it. Like you, like you fuck it up with art. Um, I love that. So like would an example, cause you mentioned statues. So for me, an example could be like having um, marginalized folks creating like a chalk art murals of um, historical or important figures around like a civil war monument that still stands for some dumb unknown reason. So something like that, like on yeah. a minor, on a minor level, like I understand kind of like, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, sorry. Um, so uh, one of the biggest examples um, of this sort of, of this would be um, back in the summer um, during the protests after the murders of George Floyd um, Brianna Taylor and the countless other names. Um, there was a, a, a statue of Robert E. Lee in um, Virginia, I want to say. Um, I, I get some places in the South sort of um, mixed up every once in a while, but in Virginia um, and all of the, the paint and the graffiti that was like tossed on to this monument and then uh, a digital image of Breonna Taylor was um, mm. was projected on, and then BLM was projected on the other side. So that, that that is that's that's less that's more static. Um, Breonna Taylor's image would be more sort of ephemeral in that way, but like that is an example of like you know insurgency, guerrilla guerrilla public art, um, thinking about like how like communities come together in the face of injustice and um, brutality. Um, so can you explain the connection to wellness and art there? It's like, why do we need art to be well? 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no other option. You can't, uh, you can't not have art and not be well. Like, so art, this is, this is one of the, the things that um, I'm in conversation a lot with people is like, when you think of art, art is not just like painting. Art is like, art is writing. Art is, you know, it's poetry, it's performance, it's dance, it's all of these different mediums that like, it could be physical, it could be like physical and like, um, like plastic arts, you know, sculpture, that's that kind of stuff. Um, it could be film, you know, there are all of these different avenues and all the things that I said, imagine a world without that. And these are places that people sift through their like traumas. These are how people like sift through, you know, the, the inner workings of their lives. They like how they handle, um, how they, how they handle themselves, how they keep themselves alive, you know, how they push forward, how they share, how narratives are, are being shared. Um, and to me, in my mind, there's like not, it's like the world doesn't exist without that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. And I think that's so important. And for me, um, I think everyone heard a little bit about how passionate I am about education is like education and art are part of wellness to me. And I think there are things like anti-racism work, decolonization work. Like there's so many things to me that are part of wellness because as our fucking intro line is, is wellness isn't wellness if it's just for you. If it is individualist and versus collectivist, it is not for the community. It's not like, okay, great. You might feel really like nice and like relaxed after your restorative yoga class, but like, <sighs> cool. What are you fucking doing in the world around you? Um, and shouting I think- out, Shouting out super racist stuff and then going to an ecstatic dance class. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And that's where I think like art and education play major roles in developing wellness in us. That is, I mean, ideal, not education in the sense of like banking model education, but education in the sense of like learning and facilitation of education and creating informal and formal based learning spaces that are um, person centered and human centered versus um, product centered. Yeah, yeah, other centered, item centered. I consumerism centered so again I'm curious where you about your definition of wellness my definition (laughs) that's so funny because here I am with a wellness podcast and I hadn't really thought too hard about that um I think in what you can't have wellness without we like that I know that sounds so corny but I think similarly to you Zara I I think the same is we can't have wellness without we and if we're not really considering the we of like all of us of humanity um then we end up what we consider wellness is actually pretty disgusting it's pretty it's pretty sick and it's it becomes i-ness right like when i think about you know sophia you were saying earlier about the individualistic sort of um wellness travel in Vietnam and I know in other places in the world to me that's very like I-ness like that's very like oh I'm gonna go here I'm gonna spend my money and my time I'm gonna experience this beautiful luxurious whatever it is at the expense of whatever people who I don't really care about 
I think wellness needs to, we really need to consider the we in wellness of like the everyone involved there. So if you're going to go do wellness travel, how are you in relationship with the local people? How is, you know, what, whoever is hosting you or whatever businesses you might be interacting there, how are they in relationship with the people in the land? That's kind of what I think about um, with wellness. And of course, in our own world, like in the U.S. where we're at, you know, wellness is like how, how are, say, wellness places, you know, yoga studios and yoga teachers and whatnot, how are they in relationship with the people around them? Do I make sense? <laughs> like, I hope I make sense with this little we and wellness and the I-ness that I sort of um observe and I think I'm hearing you both say. Yeah, I think um, when you were speaking, Han, I was thinking about um, specifically going back to, you know, yoga spaces that I was a part of is like, you know, what, what does individualism mean within a yoga space and how that continues to lead towards competition and like what continues to like be this like um, this, what is, what is the, this problematic space of like, okay, so I'm creating a brand for myself, for this like yoga practice. I am, I am an individual in this to make money, to have like, to have consumers, to be a part of capitalism. I am preaching wellness. Um, and then like, and then saying that your practice and like, ultimately trying to say that your practice is better than somebody else's, you know? So it's like, the, it, it, it definitely deterred me from yoga for a while. I've actually only recently gotten back into it. Um, I was really annoyed with how yoga spaces operated here in the United States. Um, and so, yeah, it's another thing. So thinking about yoga and um, colonization, there's this article by um, Sharina Gandhi and Lily Wolf. They wrote a piece on um, yoga as a colonized system of practice and knowledge, you know, is imbricated in capitalism and um, cultural appropriation. I think both of you would be really interested in that article and maybe those of you who are listening. Um, and the title is called Yo Let me look. Um, Yoga and the Roots of Cultural Yoga and the Roots of Cultural Appropriation. I think that might be something that you both will be really interested in. And yeah, you, uh, a civilization that justifies colonization and cultural appropriation is just as implicated and diseased as I may say so I would say as those who are doing the colonizing yeah yeah I also really just love the face at the end of that which was just like yes this is a fact um we always end our podcast with these questions what's one thing you want to see more of in wellness and what's one thing you want to see less of okay I think what I want to like even after um, having the conversations with the two of you what I would like to see more in yoga spaces and I know this is um, these conversations are happening but I would like to see more of them I would like to see folks of color talking about their experiences within them and inspire other folks of color to be like, hey, wait a minute, that is also something that I've been through. Or like, wait a minute, that's something close to what I've been through. Here is something else I've been through. Or like, where we can like, like maybe even critique each other and think about like, you know, what this experiences mean and like build towards a better future of wellness. And the other, what I would like to see less of, um, folks in yoga who... <laughs> want to continue to capitalize and profit off of other um, marginalized communities and um, culturally appropriate <laughs> to yoga, a yoga practice. 
I just like would like to see less of those yoga studios, you know, just in general. Um, Don't we know it, Zara? (laughs) Yeah. So, Sophia, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Uh, How can people get in touch with you? Oh, that's such a, that's another really awesome and wonderful question. I am like, actually, I've taken a break from social media. Um, I have my, my email, Sophia underscore Ellis at brown.edu to reach out to. Um, I will be opening up my social media back soon, but right now I'm off the grid, as they say. Totally understandable. (laughs) Totally understandable. And that is awesome. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to the Thoughtful Wellness Revolution podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media and subscribe to wherever you're listening. (laughs) 